Welcome to the Grace City Church Podcast, where we believe that Jesus died to reconcile us to God, to others, and to make us reconcilers. We're so glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're watching, God is doing transforming work in you through this message. Hey, if we haven't got a chance to meet, my name is Will Plonk. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm looking forward to starting off uh, our new series in Upside Down Leadership. Um, I do have my 20 Schemes shirt on. Who knows what 20 Schemes is? Yeah, okay, yes, we do, um, because this is actually the first Sunday where um, our pastor, elder friend, Richard Brown, is actually officially in Scotland, and uh, so this is to rep him and support him. Uh, if you're watching, which I don't know if you are, what time is it there, hey? Um, but uh, we have, we're excited. They're there for two years, and um, we, even this morning, got a text. We were texting, and he said at 3 a.m. this morning, there is a verbal altercation uh, across the street at one of his neighbor's house who is a known drug dealer. And he just texted us and said, pray, pray for him, <laughs> pray for us. So that's the work he's doing. And we praise God he's there, thankful we get to support him in it and continue to pray for them. Keep them in your prayers. We got to, to, got to get some of those prayer requests uh, last or a couple weeks ago. Um, but we are beginning a new series entitled Upside Down Leadership. And we're looking forward to this. We're going to be here for five weeks before we jump into 1 Thessalonians, which we'll uh, be in for the rest of the year. But we're going to be here for five weeks, and we're looking forward to this for a couple of different reasons. One is this, is because we're excited to look at what God means and how God has designed leadership and authority and power. Because there is something intrinsic about being human that is attached to power and authority. Do you know that? Like when we were made in the image of God, ruling and authority are attached to it. So let me show you Genesis 1.26. I just want to read this verse for you so we can see it together. It says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. Everybody say rule. Over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. In other words, let me, he says, the Trinity says, let us make mankind, human beings, in our image so that they may rule. So they may, might exercise authority over the world. That there's something about being made in the image of God that's attached to ruling. This is true for all of us, regardless of our position, you know this? Um, maybe best seen in a little infant. So how many of you parents out here? Remember what it was like to take your kid home from the hospital for the first time? And you're so excited, you're also like, I can't believe they're allowing me to do this. You're like, I don't know about you, but I was like, I don't just feel like, you know, I didn't have to do anything, and now I'm, I'm here. What did you do something? You know what I'm saying? I'm here, and now I got this kid. And uh, so you're out, you're out here, and then they start crying in the middle of the night. And what do you do? What do you do? What do you, what do, you do? You get up and go. You cry too. There you go, Russ. You cry too as you go over to their crib and serve them, right? Like your little infant is exercising power and authority over you as the parent. Literally, they... They, from the beginning, know there's something embedded in them to cry, and when they cry, it does something so that the parents respond to that. We all have a level of power. We all have influence. And so the question is, what does it mean to steward it in the image of God for the glory of God? 
So we need to, re- we need to wrestle with that, and that's what these five weeks are going to be. But here's the other thing. When we talk about upside-down leadership, we're really, it's really because we believe the image God portrays of biblical leadership is upside down from what the world says. Any Stranger Things fans? You know what I'm saying? The upside down. You know what I'm talking about? Like an alternate dimension breaking into this dimension, it's completely backwards, right? I'm nerding out for you a little bit. This is 1115 special. I didn't get that to the nine, right? Like, like, like it's an alternate dimension breaking in that's that because it's so backwards, really is the idea. When he says the kingdom is at hand, he's saying something new is here. When Jesus says that, that's the first thing, first sermon he preached. Something new is here and it's different. It's Backwards. It's not going to be the way that we think it is because it attacks, it strikes a blow at something that's core to us too, and it's just autonomy, sin. Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 1, made in the image of God to rule, yet ruling in the likeness of God under his authority was not sufficient for them. Instead, our great-grandparents reach out their hand and grab the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and say, I'm going to do it my way. They're autonomous, which means self-law. There's something intrinsic in our brokenness that also wants to say, let me do it my way. It's about me. We think this news of the kingdom at hand actually breaks in and strikes a blow at that, that we all struggle with to some degree. So we're excited to look at God's vision for leadership. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get going. God, we do come before you, and we we lay this series before you. We have hope that you will use it to create culture in our church that not just affects our organized church, but affects this city and the relationships that are represented by the people here and the businesses that are represented and the families that are represented, that we could catch a new vision, that we would trust you and what you say about authority and leadership, and Lord, that we'd receive your leadership of our lives the authority that you have in our life, that we'd be recipients of that. So won't you do something special in this series, Jesus? We pray it in your name. All God's kids said, amen. All right, Matthew chapter 20. We're just jumping into Matthew, and uh, let's get going. We'll be in a couple of verses in Matthew 20. It says this, then the mother of Zebedee's sons, those are two disciples, the mother of these two disciples, came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling asked a favor of him. What is it you want? Jesus asked. She says, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in the kingdom. That's a mama, isn't it? That's a mama right there. Mama saying, hey, Jesus, is it cool if one of my boys sits at your left and the other one of my boys sits at your right in the kingdom. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's so you're like, that, before we kind of go, be like, Mama, what you doing? Let's just come in. That's a good mama right there. She's looking out for her babies, and she's going and asking for positions. A couple of things that's very interesting about this mother's request, though. Three things. The first is this, is its context. The context of this request. So this request is on the tail end, if you just go back, 
right before this, the next verse. It's on the tail end of the third time Jesus predicted his death. So this request again, tail end of the third time Jesus predicted his death and the crucifixion. The first time was Matthew chapter 16. That was right after Peter, one of the disciples, came to the realization through God that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus is like, man didn't reveal this to you. God must reveal this to you. Peter's like, you're the Messiah. That means you're the king we've been waiting for, and we're excited about this. You are the Messiah. And Jesus goes, that's right. And then right after that, Jesus begins to say, I'm going to go to the cross and die. You all remember how Peter responds? Peter takes Jesus aside and says, hey, Jesus, I don't think that's a good idea. Like, I just, we've been waiting for you for a long time. Let's, how about no? How about you don't, how about you don't die? You know what I'm saying? And then Jesus, you remember what he says? Get behind me. Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan, when you're trying to come. If you go back and read the context, why? Because you have in mind not the things of God but human concerns. When you're trying to interfere with the messianic mission, which includes death. And so what we get here at this right after the third time Jesus predicts his death is this reality. You see it through the mother's request is that they can't comprehend in their mind that the messianic mission would include death and crucifixion. Like they just can't reconcile that that this king is going to die. Like, like, like it's, it's like I can't compute that, that the savior of the world would be born not in a palace but a manger, that he would ride in not on a steed but on a donkey, that that he would not be crowned but crucified. They're like, they can't reconcile that reality. And what we see by the mother's request is not only is it hard for them to go messianic mission and death and crucifixion, but what they also can't reconcile is that greatness in the kingdom looks like service and death. That not only for Jesus and the Messiah will it include servitude slavery and death, but even for his disciples, it'll include this as well. And they just can't reconcile it because there's something in them that just associates position with influence and position with like, if, if, if you're the king, then, then you should be elevated on this plane. And if you're the king, you should kind of be able to do what you want, which can't include death. One commentator, Tony Evans, said, that the, the brothers and the mother's request shows that they want prestige and position without sacrifice and commitment. They want prestige and position without sacrifice and commitment. They've associated in a, in a unique way, in a natural way, but not in a godly way, that this position means something great, something good for them, that then they'll be able to do what they want to do. So I, um, uh, we don't have any pets at the Plunk House. And uh, hopefully we never will have any. And, um, <clears throat> but it's not only up to me. So anyways, we, this is a constant conversation in the Plunk House. They got four kids, and they would love a pet. And so we don't have one. And so they ask a lot, and I say no a lot. And um, so one time, my uh, middle girl, she said, well, Daddy, when I grow up, I'm going to have five kitties and ten doggies. I said, you are. She said, yes, I am. 
And if you know her, that's, I mean, she's, you know what I'm saying, she's shaking her head, and she, I don't know how she can move her hips quite the way she can at, at this age, but she doesn't, you know, she, she's got personality, and she's like, that's what it's going to be. She's like, because I see how this whole arrangement works. Once I get grown, then I can make the rules. Like, once I get big, then I get to do what I want to do. Because, parents, that's what you're doing, isn't it? You're just out here living your best life, doing whatever you want to do in this world. And everybody's like, yeah, sorry. Well, anyway, you know. Like, she was like, I'm going to get up here, and I'm going to do what I want to do when I get grown. But here, here's the thing. It's like there's something in us, like, from a child's age that thinks once we get into whatever position, then we can do what we want to do. Like one commentator said this too, like why be a ruler if you can't get the benefits of a ruler? Like why be a king if, if you ain't going to get the servants? Like why, like why be a boss if you ain't going to get the corner office, if you ain't going to get the parking spot? Like, like why lead a ministry if you aren't able to do what you want to do in the ministry? Like why have kids unless they are going to do what you want them to do, right? Like, like this idea that that yes, we can get to a place, then finally, I'm going to be able to rule my life the way I want to rule it. So I, I believe there's something intrinsic in all of us that is desirous of importance and significance because we chiefly operate like life orients around us. As we begin this series, my first question to you is just how does that happen in your life? How are you, how are we actually about this life for ourselves, trying to rule ourselves, wanting to make the decisions we want to make, desirous of position and prestige. And you know it, right? Like, there's just something in us that wants it. I mean, literally, Jesus reminded these people three times, and they're still asking this question. He's told them about his death three times. They're still like, let me get a position. Let me get a position. There's something in us, though, in it. Do you feel it? The thing in you that wants to just be acknowledged a little bit? Like maybe you do the thing, you do it kind of in secret, but you kind of hope somebody finds out. Like we're way too sophisticated to ever verbally say we would like more followers, views, or likes on social media. We would never say that out loud. But there's something in us that's aware of how many views and likes and followers we have in it. We know. We're aware of these things. That's aware. Do we get recognized? Like, like... I got exclu- I wasn't on the email. Like I why wasn't my name on the email? Why wasn't I at the why wasn't I invited to the thing? Like they had a meeting and they didn't include me? I should have. I should have been included. And there's something in us that's just desirous of importance, right? Desirous of recognition. And that's what's happening here. That's the first interesting thing about the mother's request, though, is the context. The second thing, too, is also actually have to do with context. What does she ask for? She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in the kingdom. This is interesting, though, because it means that in some way she's recognized that she's dealing with the Messiah, right? Like in some way she recognized he's going to be a king, and when he's a king, I, I'm going to ask for my boys to be sitting in thrones. Here's what's very fascinating. Jesus has already told the disciples if they follow him, they'll be sitting on thrones. Let me show you this in Matthew 19. In Matthew 19, look at what it says. Jesus said to them, this is to the disciples, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, 
you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. That's pretty cool. Like Jesus tells these 12 disciples, those of you who follow me will also sit on 12 thrones. Yet, that wasn't enough for James and John, was it? Like, like even though they're going to be on thrones, James and John and his mother's request are like, yeah, 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 I get, you know, we're going to all be on thrones one day. But she's like, hey, can my boys be on the left and the right, though? Like, I get glorious thrones ruling over Israel, new heavens and new earth. That's cool. But left and who's going to be sitting on the left and who's going to be sitting on the right? Let me get those seats. This is something I think that actually reveals about humanity. Is that that desire to rule oneself, that desire for significance and importance, it's insatiable. We'll never get enough. We never get to a place where we have enough money and we're good. We never get to a place where we get enough recognition and we're good. We never get to a place where we get enough relationship in the way that we want to be recognized and we're, like, we just don't ever get there. And it's this lie that you just got, man, once you get a little, you work a little bit harder, get a little bit of money, then you'll get the house, and then you'll have made it. And then you get it, and you're like, yeah, man, this is pretty good for, like, a couple weeks. <laughs> and you're like, no, not anymore. You know, then you become dissatisfied, and it's another lie towards more. Jesus has told them they'll sit on thrones, yet they're requesting the left and the right. Another thing, too, I think you see that it's comparative. Oftentimes this thing, the thing in us that's desirous of influence, of importance, of status, we feel dissatisfied because we're measuring ourselves with the people around us, isn't we? And it's really true, like, comparison really does steal joy, and, like, that's a lot of times what's happening. And they're like, yeah, yeah, like, it's cool if I'm on a throne, but I want to be on the best thrones. Uh, I, there's a study that was done in the late 90s, and it uh, asked this question. It was a, posed a theoretical situation to about 300 people. And here, here's what it was. It said, would you rather make $100,000 a year and everyone else around you make $200,000 or make $50,000 a year and everyone else around you make twenty-five. dollars Again, would you rather make $100,000 a year and everyone else around you make $200,000? So they're making twice as much as you are, but you're making $100,000. Or would you rather make $50,000 a year, half of that, but everyone else around you makes 25, so you make twice as much as them. What do you think people said? It was split. 50% of people would rather make $50,000 less in order to make twice as much as the people around them. Isn't that fascinating? That is not intuitive to me. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, but it's, well, the number's bigger. You know, like, like. It's not intuitive, but, but it does speak to something I think is true about humanity, and it's this idea of comparison. We become dissatisfied when we start looking around. And as we think about leadership, a lot of times it's about how can we have a greater level of influence? How can we bide our time to finally be recognized like on, on top, like we've made it? And so another question to you is just who are you comparing yourself to? That's going to teach you something about how you view leadership and 
and how you think about authority and influence. Just who do you compare yourself to? Or the people in this room? One thing it might teach you is if you compare yourself to people based on, and it might be a couple of different categories, but sometimes we're comparing ourselves spiritually to people. Sometimes it's financially. Sometimes it's giftedness. Sometimes it's relationally and friendships. But how are you comparing yourself? That's one thing we learned. Last thing I want to make the point that's interesting about the mother's request, and we're going to move to verse 22, is just simply this, that it is the mother making the request. That it is the mother making the request. In Mark's account of the same situation, the mother is not involved. Both brothers make the request directly to Jesus. Matthew oftentimes, in his gospel accounts, he adds more detail So what we know from that fact is this, and you see it too from later in the text, but what we know is that the mom didn't go behind uh, her son's backs to ask Jesus. Instead, she was commissioned and sent by her boys to go ask Jesus, hey, it's more like, you know, uh, mom, uh, I don't don't know how Jesus is going to respond to this, but I was wondering, could you go ask him for us? We could be... You know what I'm saying? Like, left and right? What do you think? You know, she a good mama. I got you, boys. You know what I'm saying? But here's another thing you learn. Here's another thing you learn. Like, the older generation, sometimes they'd be like, man, this generation is so spoiled. Like, the parents are calling college professors because of their kids' grades. Can you believe this generation? I'd be like, what's happening in Jesus' time? Every generation been like this. So you can't be, every generation, we know all we want, mama, will you help me? Every generation has been asking for all eternity past for their mama's help, you know what I'm saying? But, but it's, here's, what, here's why I say this seriously, though, is the means and, like, the insidious nature, what I mean, like, just the, the crazy ways we will try to seek glory. It happens in all sorts of crazy ways we do it. And I just want to invite you to consider the ways it happens in yourself, I'm going to tell you a story of myself, right? I'm going to air my dirty laundry a little bit, okay? And just as a way to say, how does this happen to you? So I learned this about nine months ago um, about myself. And I learned it through this situation where, um, and I'm going to be real about this, Mally had COVID, and um, I was scheduled to preach. And I wanted to still be able to preach because it was like Saturday. So I didn't test myself. Yes, some of you have just judged me dramatically because of that. But that's what I did. Didn't test myself. And because um, I was like, I feel like I just need to come preach. So I wore a mask. I came up in here. I preached. And then I was like, well, I'll just like kind of go hide. So, I, you know, make sure I don't get anybody sick. I'll go hide. So I like a wit and I get in my car. After the talk to 9, 9, I went and got in my car, right? And then I see some people from the 9 a.m. leaving. And I'm just sitting in my car. I'm like, hey. I was like, this is awkward. I was like, I sh- what, do they think, what do they think I'm doing? I was like, I don't know what they think. So I was just like, I just better drive. So I just started driving <laughs> away from the church. And I drove away. And then I started, then I was like, all right, I got to come back because I got another service. So I drove back. And then I was like, wait, what do people think? Why do people think I'm driving back right now? I was like, I'm in a predicament. You know what I'm saying? Like, what are people thinking about me? And um, this is what I learned through that ridiculous situation. Also, I didn't have COVID, so y'all are safe. Did your pastor do us right? I'm not saying I did, but you're all right. Um, this is, what I learned, this is what I learned about myself. I learned that I care a lot that you don't think that I think that I'm a big deal. I'll say it again. I care a lot that you 
don't think that I think I'm a big deal. So I was afraid that you might think I'm one of these big time, I think about, not that I really am, because I know I'm not, but that, but that you think that I might think, this, this is how ridiculous it is, that you might think I think about myself, that like I'm a big time pastor who just comes up in here and preaches and I got all my people with the like wiping me down, you know what I'm saying, with the rags, my security guard, I'm like, all right, I preached and I can't talk to you, sorry people, and I'm like, all right, peace. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's what I, I was afraid you might think I think that about myself. And so I hid in the car and I drove around. <laughs> the, the disciples get their mama to ask Jesus to be on the left and the right of the throne. What do you do? What, you, what do you do? What do you do because you, you don't want people to think a way about you? Or for me, what greatness was, was not actually that I'm, I have a humble view of myself, Greatness for me is just that you would think that about myself, think that about me. Like, in that, God revealed to me that one of the reasons I would come early and set up this church before Sunday was not actually to serve you, but was because I wanted you to think that I was a servant-minded person. So that's why I did it. That's messed up. What you got? I think we all got something. What? And, and this, you just see it manifests itself in all sorts of crazy ways, but it's so important. And this is part of what we hope, especially kind of with week one of this series, that you would actually stop for a second and realize that this problem is common to humanity. And we go, in what way am I trying to use my influence, position myself for some type of importance? And I'm saying it can be defined so differently. Like some of you, yeah, you would want a stage, but some of you, you would never want to be known as the person who is on a stage. You'd want to be known as the person who's crushing behind the scenes stuff. You'd want to be shown as, known as a person who's just really faithful and reliable. But my question is just what is it for you? I think we all have something. And part of this series, again, is just going, okay, what is it? Let's stop. Let's evaluate ourselves in the way our heart is oriented in the way the world talks about leadership rather than the way that God presents leadership and influence and position. So they ask for the, the place in the kingdom, and then look at how, look at the response in verse 22. Jesus says this. When they ask to sit at his left and right, and I hope you hear it. Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. You're asking to sit at the left and the right in the kingdom of heaven. You don't know what you're asking. And then he says this, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? He immediately attaches their request to sit on the left and the right to the cup. The cup is not a physical cup. It's a metaphorical cup that, that casts our mind to Gethsemane, which is the garden in which Jesus prayed before the crucifixion, where he pleaded with the Father to do what? He pleaded with the Father to take this cup from him because the cup wasn't a physical cup. It was one that symbolized suffering. The suffering associated with the messianic call, or for us, the suffering associated with just following Christ. And Jesus is like, you don't know what you're asking when you ask for greatness in the kingdom of God. This kingdom is not a temporal kingdom. The greatness is not greatness like the world defines greatness. The greatness in the kingdom is so different than that. He's like, can you drink the cup? Like, he's like, he's been telling them 
for the, like the whole time they've been following Jesus, countless times over and over again, do you know that if you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross daily and die to follow me? Do you know that anyone who wants to save their life will lose their life, Jesus says. He's like, you don't know what you're asking. Like, he's been talking about service. He's been modeling the incarnational ministry. Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, did he? Philippians chapter 2. But instead, he made himself nothing, taking on the nature of a servant, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. He's like, when you ask to be great in the kingdom of God, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup? Because greatness in the kingdom of God is the cup. It's suffering. It's service. He's going to tell us explicitly it's slavery. He's like, why would you make such a request? You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup? Look at their response. We can, they answer. And Jesus says to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right and my left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Crazy. Jesus says I'm under authority. It is not for me. And we can nerd out theologically about the economical versus the ontological trinity. But Jesus is saying I'm under authority. But he says, you will indeed drink the cup. <laughs> These two disciples do drink the cup. It's James and John. Acts 12, verse 2. James is killed by Herod. Or John. John gets exiled to Patmos, an island, an obscure island where he lives the rest of his days and pens revelation. They do drink the cup. When we talk about the invitation to lead in the kingdom of God, it's an invitation towards cup drinking. He's saying, do we want this? Do we want greatness in the kingdom of God? Because this is what it entails. It entails suffering, and he's going to get into that. And so literally as we, as we think about the invitation to lead in the kingdom of God, we're we're really going, are we cup-drinking kind of people? <laughs> Look at verse 24. <clears throat> the ten heard about this, the request of the mother, and they were indignant with the two brothers. In other words, they're like, they're starting to fight. They're like, how can you get your mama to go do this and ask this question? And they're like, you know, they're saying they, they're fighting about it. And so what Jesus does is it almost presents it like he's now coming and he's not breaking up a fight, but probably some type of quarrel between the ten and James and John who asked for this position in the kingdom. And you can just kind of imagine it. Why are they indignant? They're indignant because two of their friends are trying to get 
to be first place. And they're like, well, why are you trying to be first place? Like, and come over me. And you just kind of see that, right? And, and one of the things that I think is true, like this is happening in Jesus' disciples, like quarreling over position. And I, and I think, I don't know about you, but I think even in the church, the majority of splits and fights aren't theological conflict. And they're not theological. They're about demagoguery. They're not like we disagree about this theological thing. They're about leadership, personalities, self-focus. It's all about me. And when it's all about me, when, my, when, when what I do is about me, and what you do is about you, unless what you do is helping me, I don't like you. If, if everybody's supposed to exist to serve me, if, if you ain't got that memo, we ain't going to get along. And for many of us, that's how we operate. Like, I mean, we come in this space right here. Do people talk to me? That question centers ourself as the central person in our world. Did they think about me, right? Like, that, that's the thing. And so there's this thing that's happening. Um, any of y'all listen to Rise and Fall on Mars Hill? I don't know if you should or not. Um, I did. <laughs> but... Um, I got mixed feelings about the whole thing, but it's very fascinating. Uh, it's about a church that grew to be really big, really fast, and then ended very fast, too. And the reason it ended wasn't a theological thing so much. It was not um, in so any sort of infidelity in the leadership. It wasn't mismanagement of money, per se. It was honestly leadership problems. It was centering most likely a pastor centering the church around himself. And we can listen to that and be like, man, that's crazy. Like, wow. I can't believe somebody would do that. But I wonder if it's more of a mirror into us. Just to go, the reason we don't have a podcast is because we didn't have as much position or as many people follow us. I don't know about you. Maybe we didn't have the skills to do what he did. And that's why there's no podcast about us. Not because we wouldn't have done the same things or taken, you know. I don't know if you hear me, but I think that's for real. Like many of us, the way our mind works, we are the center. And the positions we have and the influence we have and the authority we have is about us. And what we can get out of it. So what Jesus does, he, he stops this quarrel, and this is what's beautiful about Jesus. He portrays two pictures. He presents two pictures of leadership. The first one is the way the world leads, and the second one is the way leadership is intended to be in the kingdom of God. First, the way the world leads. He says this, you know how the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. In other words, the idea is like the, the, the rulers of the Gentiles, that's just saying the world, they use their position as Lord. So they are trying to uh, assert their authority, their dominance, in other words, to subdue the people, to kind of display their position is the idea. They exercise authority over them. That word's not used a whole lot in the New Testament. The only other place is it's used is in the same account in Mark. But it's a coercive authority, an authority that centers self. 
that is saying these things, these people exist for me. And it's saying that the way the world talks about leadership ultimately is, is it's more self-centric. It centers you. And, and, you know, there's a lot of, like, service leadership, servant leadership stuff in the world. I think a lot of that is really good, but I think a lot of that is still centering self, too. Because the servant leadership idea, a lot of times, it still is like, be a servant leader so that the thing can become great. Be a servant leader so that then one day people will notice your service and then you will be great. It's still, it, it, even the idea of failure, it's like a really, it's like, man, you know what I'm saying? Like, turns your, loss, your losses into lessons, you know? Like, like, this idea of failure, it's still a failure as a means to the end of self-promotion. Fail now so that later you can be elevated on this temporal plane. Like, like that, that's, the, that's, the, that's what's in our culture, you know what I'm saying? Like that's the air we breathe, that type of leadership talk. And it's not that all that's bad, but Jesus' portrayal of it's different. Look what he says in verse 26. Just hear Jesus' definition of leadership. If you don't hear anything, this is what you got to hear. He says, this is the world's definition, not so with you. You as kingdom of light people, you're different. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. That's how Jesus defines leadership, family. Whoever wants to be great, servant. Whoever wants to be first, slave. Jesus has already said almost the same thing twice before. Earlier he said, for many in the kingdom who will be first will be last, and many who will last will be first. And then in chapter 20, verse 16, right before this, you go back and read, he says explicitly, the first will be last and the last will be first. But now he's like, listen, like, if you haven't gotten it yet, because you keep making these requests for earthly greatness, if you haven't gotten it yet, let me tell you this. Not only will the first be last, but if you want to be last, if you want to be first, then what? You must be a slave. Your slave. You, you must be your slave. You must orient your whole life. Every bit of your influence, your gifts, your talents in the service of others. So much so that you could be called their slave. Like, wow. Wow. That's different. Another thing that's interesting, he doesn't actually condemn the motive. He, he kind of condemns the end. He says, if you want to be, come great. So there still is some of that there too. You must be a servant. If you want to be last, you must be a slave. So there still is some of that. Well, then you'll be, but the then you'll be is not chiefly on this plane, family. 
It's, become, it's because when, when you truly become a servant and you truly become a slave, it, it, kind of, it, it displays the type of reorientation of your heart that can only be true if, if God has gotten hold of you. If you, like the only way you can become a servant to all people, only way we can do this, that we can be a slave is if we realize, listen, that Jesus did not just demand this, but he demonstrated this. And we realize that he first did this for us. The only way we do, with the only way we live this life, the only way we do not grow embittered, the only way we don't just view this as another means to achieve something on this earth is if we realize the end of what he says in verse 28. He says, if you want to become great, be a servant. If you want to become first, be your slave, just as. He doesn't just declare it, he demonstrates. Just as the Son of Man, that's him, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Praise Jesus. Can you believe it? God. By him, all things were created. Through him, all things were created. For him, all things were created. Whom is worthy of all praise and honor and glory? God, who's splendorous, who's more bright than the sun. God did not come to be served, but to serve. The only one who rightfully deserved praise and worship from humanity. Again, he didn't come in uh, to a palace, but instead a manger. He didn't ride a steed, but a donkey. And he wasn't crowned, but he was crucified. God came. Can you imagine such splendor and majesty as the creator of the universe said, my intention was to clothe myself with flesh to serve us? It, it is, there's nothing comparable. It's not even, it's barely in the same thing to say like our president would come and get down and serve us, or, or whatever famous celebrity was like, that's not even really, this. it's the creator of the universe came, not to be served, but to serve us with a purpose. Look at the end. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And for those of us who were in Christ, that many is us. That word ransom is a warfare term, referring to a payment given to a foreign nation to, relate, to release a prisoner of war. The other way it was used is within slavery context. And a payment given so that a slave would be released. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve so that his blood and life could be a ransom that purchased us from the sin that we were in, from the slavery we had to it, to the way we were caught up in the world and following it, to purchase us from that and to bring us into the kingdom of light. The ransom, he made a payment. It wasn't free. It was very costly. The free grace was free to us, but it costed him something. 
It cost him his life. His service had a bullseye. And that bullseye was to serve us so that we might be ransomed and made new. Now, when we realize we've been bought and the price was God's son and the, the price washes over us and makes us new and frees us, Oh, well, then this idea upside down starts making sense. It starts feeling right side up for us all of a sudden. We start going, you know what? I would want to be a servant of all. I would want to be. A, that is the chief difference, and you got to hear it. The chief difference in this is not, okay, well, I got to just fight to be a servant, fight to be a slave. The chief difference is when we realize the Son of Man's done it for us, our whole, like, command center gets flipped. And then what we start doing is we want to use all of our influence for other people. And not so that they would be made much of. We want to serve them so that they would know that there was a God who served them, who ransomed them, who died for them, whom loved them. This is what we're talking about. The only reason upside-down leadership makes any sense is because Jesus did it for us, family. That's the only reason it makes any sense. But when he comes in Matthew chapter 4 and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's saying the upside down is breaking in. He's saying like there is an alternate dimension that is, that is completely contradictory to the way that our flesh operates and it is breaking in and we can be a part of it through Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the Grace City Church Podcast. Whether this is your first time with us or you find the Lord moving you to engage differently or just learn more about who we are, we encourage you to find us at our website at www.thegracecity.com to explore all of the ways that you can give, connect, and engage. Thank you again for being with us. Now go live as image bearers of the King.